Welcome back to Nach Yomi. We are now returning to Sefer Shoftim, Perek Vov, the sixth chapter. This is a really incredible story that we're about to learn together. This is really in round four, where unfortunately, after 40 years of silence under the reign of Devorah and Barak, now we actually devolve back into lawlessness, serving our and Hashem sells us again down the river to another nation. This nation is Midian. Um, this is the cycle of Shoftim once again raising its head. Um, we're, we, the nation of Israel is sold there for seven years, and it sounds like the way it used to operate during these days is that every springtime, as the crops were about to come into full bloom, then Midian and all their cronies, the Bnei Kedem and Amalek, would join with them and bring in thousands and tens of thousands of their soldiers, and they would come and just take everything. You know, so the, the, the Israelites would have to go and hide in the caves, and they would take all their crops they were just, uh, they were just growing, all their animals and livestock. This would really, you know, they, they, would, they would loot and pillage. So it doesn't sound like it was more of a, you know, an agenda-based um, subjugation. It's more like just, you know, they, they just completely used Israel, and Israel had no way to defend themselves. This is the situation. Into this, Hashem, when Israel calls out to Hashem uh, regarding Midian, Hashem says it does something very unusual. He sends a Navi, a prophet, and this prophet comes and basically says to them, look, I took you out of Egypt, and I, I, I saved you from all these people. I told you to chase them out, and you didn't listen. And you didn't listen. That's why you're here. And that was, that was the end of the speech. So it's interesting. The, the Navi sort of gives the keys to them and says, uh, hey, go for it. Um, and uh, and it, this, this is always doesn't usually go down so well. People don't like being blamed for situations that they're in. It doesn't seem like there's any action after this. One of the questions that the Mepharshim asks us before we're going on is, who is this prophet and why would he not be the next Shofet? Um, to which the, the, the Mepharshim answer, the, the, the Rashi, Radak, Ralbag say this is Pinchas. Pinchas actually has longevity, as we know, and we're going to meet him at the end of Sefer Shoftim. So here he is, and he's giving this message on. We're going to see, as we try to maybe do a little more of analysis on Pinchas, that Pinchas becomes much more muted throughout Sefer Shoftim. He is not the same leader we've seen beforehand in the Torah and in Sefer Yehoshua. And right now, he seems to be more of a herald rather than an action figure, which is, he's not he's not taking a lead on this, and there's a reason for that we're going to see as we get towards the, the end of the Sefer. So what happens? So Hashem now nominates the Shofet. He sends a malach, and this malach is uh, sitting under this tree in the area of Ofra, um, which is um, in the sort of the area of Menashe. And um, and there's this young man called Gidon who is uh, busy, you know, pressing pressing olives. And the malach comes over to him and says, "Gidon, you are a gibor chayil. You're a strong man." That has implications. Gidon is quite scared by this by this encounter, and he says, "He says, look, if." Israel has not been saved up till now. Why Hashem, didn't Hashem save Israel from from its rhyme? What what happened? Why are we so re- oppressed right now? And the angel says to him, "You will be the one to save Israel." He says, "But I come from a very small tribe. I'm, I'm the smallest of my family. This is really the, the, our family is the smallest. This is not, we're not the kind of people to do this." And the Malach says, "You know what? You are going to to destroy Midian as one man." Um, and at which point, get on in the conversation says. Um, can you can I can I ask you for a sign? Can you display to me that this is going to really happen? So he says, just wait here, and he runs off and he gets a uh, a mincha, which is like sort of a meal offering, and he places it in front of the in front of this malach, 
and um, and he offers it to him. And the malach, instead of eating it, takes his stick and touches the end of this soup and this and this uh, this meal offering, and it all um, you know turns into a fiery a fiery furnace, and the and the angel disappears, and he realizes that Hashem is just spoken to him, and he gets terrified, and Hashem then speaks to him directly and says, "Don't worry, you don't need to die. I'm just wanting to give you the message. This this that this this is what I'm asking for you." Um, and he he made him his bear, sacrificed to Hashem, and he called that place Shalom. So then, then the instruction manual continues. So what that night, he's told by Hashem that he needs to go and destroy the the, the idol altar, the, the idol tree, and the altar of Arvorazora in his town. In fact, he needs to take his father's own cow. What's called the Parsheni Parshevashonim. The, which is a, a ox of seven years, which the Mephoshim say was being fattened up for seven years to be for Avodah Zarah. And he's going to need a shech that um, on, the, um, um, on the altar. So this is all to be done at night. He gathers a team of ten people together and he does this. Um, he destroys all Avodah Zarah. They wake up in the morning and everybody sees, oh my goodness, everything's gone. No, no the, every, the, the altar's destroyed, the Avodah Zarah tree's destroyed, this power, this ox is being, uh, being shechted. Um, everybody's up in arms. They say, who's the perpetrator? They realize it's Gidon. There's uh, been a leak of information. And, um, and they say, let's kill Gidon. Let's lynch him. And his father actually defends him. Fascinatingly enough, his father stands up for him. This, of course, has echoes of the Midrash talking about Avram Avinu destroying the idols, except over here, Gidon's father actually protects him. Now, we move straight on into the next section. This is quite a long parak. Um, the next section of the parak describes how now the looting teams of Midian and the Bnei Kedem start entering Israel, turning into the spring. They're about to come and get their next round of, you know, confiscations. And at this point in time, um, he, uh, Gidon is inspired by the Ruach Hashem, and he, uh, he, he creates an army. He sends, he sends messengers to Asher, Zul, and Naphtali. We're going to see, and he asks a few people, which are going to create problems later on. And those tribes send their men forward. They're about to engage in a war. They're going to now take on a war effort against the Midianites. But just before he does, he asks for one more sign. He says, Hashem, please don't mind if I ask for a sign. I'm going to take this piece of wool, leave it overnight, and please, if, it's, if, we're going to sa- if I'm going to save Israel, make sure that there's going to be no, no dew on the ground except on this piece of wool. And so it was. He wakes up the next morning, dry is bone dry, and the, the wool is wet. He squeezes it out into a, into a full cup. He says, Hashem, don't mind if I ask for one more sign. You know, maybe next tomorrow night, if we could do the same thing, just if you could have, make it that there's dew on the entire ground except for the wool, and the wool's completely dry, that'll be a sign that we're going to win. And so it was. And next morning, Hashem makes it that the the, gri- the ground is wet, the wool is um, is dry, and that that is the ending of the Perak as uh, as he gets his second time and is now about to plunge into battle in Perak Zion. Just a few things to contemplate when we're looking back at this Perak. Very strange things going on over here. Gideon seems very dependent on signs, and it's hard to know what the conversation is. We don't have much time to deal with this on, on in this in, the, in this context. But nonetheless, there's one or two things that are maybe crossing his mind. Malam suggests suggest that he, we, part of the questions that he keeps asking Hashem are: is he wants to know if this is natural or supernatural? Because he feels on a natural level there is no way this is going to work, which is why Hashem keeps giving him signs that it actually is supernatural. Which is why Hashem says you're going to save Israel like one man, meaning to say in a very unusual way, and we're going to see this how it plays out. Um, also, that was part of why he was asking the Malach for a sign because he wasn't sure if this was really just a Malach, if this was a Malach or just a, a messenger, a prophet who was who, who was bringing the shlichus of Hashem. And he believed that if it was a prophet, a regular human being, it was natural, it wasn't going to work out. If it was a Malach, it was supernatural, it would work out. Which is why he put the meal offering in front of this angel because the angel now would not be able to consume it himself, but it would show that it's for Hashem because you can't bring a meal offering to an angel. Um, if it was a human being, a human being would have eaten it as um. A, um, as, as thanks.
Um, another thing you see from this parak, which is really fascinating, is here you have a situation in which Israel is losing all their food on a regular basis to these pillagers, the, the, these looting groups, but they have still managed to keep one ox, which they keep for seven years while they're starving in their caves for Avodah Zorah. That just gives you a sense of the level of the time, and Gidon is the person whose father owns that cow. That's the level of the type of people we're, we're dealing with and the stage that we're at, the, at this time, the Ravad points out, which is rather shocking. As we close the parak, it is once again very strange to think why he's asking for two sons. Let's think about this. The wool, the wool needs to be wet and the ground needs to be wet. Why two? Why again? The Malvim says, you know what uh, symbolically is going on over here is his question is, it may be supernatural. We may be going into battle, but do I have the schus? Do I have the merit? And do Israel have the merit? So the first question was, do I have the merit? Does the wool, does the leader have the merit? Does the, have the do come on? And Hashem says yes. Then he says, don't, don't get upset, Hashem. But maybe if I have the schus, but what happens if Israel doesn't necessitate the schus of a supernatural victory? That's why Hashem says, don't worry. Even without the leader, they have the schus and meriting of coming back in the full salvation, which is why the ground was wet and not the wool. With this, we charge straight into battle to, on the next section. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.